Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to this edition of Blog Business Success here on Blog Talk Radio. And I'm your host, Wayne Hurlbert. And tonight our guest is Trevor Blake. And he's a successful entrepreneur. He's a life coach. And he's the author of the insightful and empowering book, Three Simple Steps, A Map to Success in Business and Life. And Trevor Blake describes how to regain control of your thoughts and your life to achieve a life of purpose. And Trevor Blake provides the roadmap to removing negative thoughts from your brain and replacing them with empowering ideas that create positive actions toward your life goals. And Trevor presents the latest breakthroughs in neuroscience that demonstrate how the brain works and behaves under both negative and positive thoughts and ideas. And Trevor shares his three simple steps for regaining control of those thoughts and of your destiny. And of course, as I mentioned, Trevor Blake is the author of Three Simple Steps, and he's the founder and CEO of QOL Medical, a specialty pharmaceutical company he started in 2002 with just a few thousand dollars and sold in 2010 for over 100 million. And in 20 in 2006, he created ANU, a unique not-for-profit organization dedicated to developing low-side-effect cancer drugs. And before that, Trevor was a serial entrepreneur and has put his three simple steps to use in his own life. Welcome to our show, Trevor. Thank you, Wayne, and appreciate the introduction. It was uh, comprehensive. Well, well, I want to make sure we covered all of the uh, exciting (laughs) bases in your life here. (laughs) And uh, what was the background to writing this book, Three Simple Steps? Well, I've wanted to write it for quite some time because I've been teaching these steps to, well, probably formally and informally to to several thousand people over the years. But uh, one, I didn't have the time because I was running my companies. And and two, it's a self-help book in in some ways, but I'm not a big fan of self-help books myself because so many of them, even the the most famous ones, are written by people whose only taste of success is the fact that their book has suddenly caught on. They never actually achieved success before they became a good writer or a successful writer. So I wanted to wait until I you know, felt I had the credibility to stand up and say, you know, look, the American dream is is alive and well and, in fact, never more attainable, and I'm living proof of that because I come from very humble beginnings with no advantages except for these three simple steps. So that's why the book is out there now. As you mentioned, there are many uh, books written on the topic of personal development and gaining control of your life. How is this book different from uh, the ones that you mentioned where the uh, individuals uh, – were mostly successful at selling books, but not at, uh, at much about anything else. Well, it, it comes from the fact that you know, it's, a, it's an authentic description of how I got out of my own personal version of quicksand. I grew up very poor. My family were evicted three times before I was seven, and this is back in 1967. Um, it was That was a time when you could pack all of your household belongings into the back of a truck and, and escape your creditors by, by riding out to the hills, and that's basically what my parents did. We uh, ended up in a very rural, I, I, you know, perhaps backward is, a, is too strong a word, but it was certainly lost in time, uh, and, and lived out my teenage years in a derelict farmhouse. My father out of work that whole time, and my mother was diagnosed with cancer when, when I was eight years old, and, um, you know, lived through the next 14 years of debilitating treatments and, and pain. And at the end of that, you know, I, I could see that I was going to turn out like my father. I, I had the same characteristics, and I was in a place where there were no jobs, and um, you know, where people just generally 
you know, took welfare money and, and, and smoked cigarettes and watched TV, and that's basically what people did. And I wanted a way out. So I actually became addicted to reading the autobiographies of self-made men and women, and it's in those amazing stories of the Henry Fours, the Carnegie, Samuel Colts, Madam C.J. Walker, where I realized that they started from even more humble beginnings than I found myself in, but they'd found a way out. And I saw that they had these sort of common behaviors, these common attitudes. And, you know, I was young enough and, and, and uh, naive enough to think, well, if it worked for them, why wouldn't it work for me? And so I started to apply it in my own life. And, you know, I used it to get out of poverty. Then money was never of any interest to me at that age. So, But what I did want to do was travel. So I used the three simple steps to find a way to travel around the world. And I got to visit 56 countries. I lived and worked on a mid-six-figure salary in several of them, and that's by far the best way to travel. And then a funny thing happened when I got to 40 years old. You know, I went to bed on the night of my 39th year feeling immortal and fit, and then I woke up the morning of my 40th looking four months pregnant and feeling vulnerable. So at that point, I decided to apply the three simple steps to my financial independence, and that's when I started my first company. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you, you arrived yourself from a humble background. Why are there so many people struggling and not finding uh, success or happiness in their own lives? Well, I think it goes back to what you said at the top there where you mentioned uh, positive thinking. I, I personally think positive thinking is an illusion. In fact, it's an impossibility because of the way the brain works. So most people um, don't understand that they're able to control how they react to their own thoughts, but also that their own thoughts are instantaneous. They work at the speed of light. So if you find yourself in a situation you don't like or you see something that doesn't, that doesn't appeal to you, your thoughts tend to be immediately negative and also hardwired. And we now know that the brain works more like a muscle than we ever realized. So the more you expose it to these negative behaviors, the more you start to mimic it. And it's a little bit like quicksand. The harder you struggle, the deeper you sink. And so what you have to realize is, first of all, become self-aware of that process of the way the brain works. And then secondly, understand that the one thing you can control is not your thoughts, but how you react to the thought you just had. And if you choose to react differently, then you get better outcomes. And so I saw this in, in the lives of these great self-made men and women, and I applied it in my own life. First of all, in really simple ways. You know, For instance, someone might say to you, yeah, you might be feeling as fit as a fiddle, and someone might walk in and say, oh my goodness, you look tired today. Well, when that happens to most people, they see a reflection of themselves in the mirror in their mind, and they, and they see themselves looking sallow and, uh, and, and you know, bags under the eyes. And sure enough, an hour later, they feel really weary. And so you change the reaction to those thoughts. You would say something like, you know, I could use more energy right now. And so I learned to do that in very simple situations when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And then that prepared me to be able to do the same thing in bigger situations. So when I had a great idea for a, for a company and everybody around me said, don't be crazy, you're not capable of doing that, I was able to react to my thoughts that came from their responses. And, and I reacted in a different way. And it, and it made me sort of uh, drive myself to overcoming other people's limited opinion of me and and that's that's the secret it's not what we think that matters it's how we react to what we think is there some science and some breakthroughs in uh, the field of neuroscience to back up and support the idea of uh, not listening to negative people and providing yourself with a more positive outlook yeah, and we, you know we live in a great um, era when it's possible to use technology to map what happens inside the brain when it's exposed to various stimuli. So when it's exposed to, uh, you know, sensationalist news headlines, as composed to when it's exposed to to uh, more, you know, positive or affirmative words, if you like. And and uh, what we see is that 
the more that the brain is exposed to one thing or another, the more the, there's 100 billion neurons, and they make more connections than all the cell phones in the world on any, on any given day. And we have over 70,000 thoughts on any, any given day. And, and the brain seeks out something that makes it feel some kind of stimuli or some kind of response to stimuli. And it could be positive or it could be negative. For most of us, unfortunately, we spend most of our lives being exposed to somewhat negative behaviors and, and negative images and, and, and negative noise. And so the brain hardwires to that. And, and this is work that's been done, it's award-winning work that's been done by uh, Stanford and, um, uh, and Harvard. And the good news of all, the bad news is that your brain does hardwire. And if you're, not aware of, if you're not aware of that and you don't make efforts to break the connection, then it's a downward spiral. The good news is that the solution is really simple. If you break the connection, not only do you undo the, not only do you sort of stop the damage, but you can undo the physical damage that's been done by that exposure to negativity. And there's a, a professor, Sapolsky, in California who has shown that if you expose the brain to 30 minutes of negativity a day, it actually causes brain cell death. And it, it peels back the neurons in the hippocampus, which is a critical area of the brain that we need to exist in a constantly changing environment. So it's actually, I, I think of it like, um, more like passive smoking. I, my father was a chain smoker, and so the only way I could sort of protect my lungs when I was a kid was to get out of his way, to get out of the house and go out in the fresh air. And I think of, of negativity like that. The only way to stop the downward spiral is to break that connection. So you have to put distance between yourself and the your, your daily dose of sensationalist news or the complainers around you in the workplace or your family who are always criticizing or telling you you're not good enough. You have to break that connection. It can be as simple as excusing yourself for five minutes and just going outside and getting some fresh air. As you mentioned, uh, one of the uh, uh, most uh, frequently encountered uh, individuals in the workplace is that person who uh, complains about everything in their life and their other uh, job and their uh, uh, home and it, it, just about anything that, uh, that can be imagined. They've got a complaint about it. And usually when old Joe, the complainer, walks into the uh, office as well, it seems like there's a, a real cloud of gloom even descends on the entire office when they arrive. How could you work with someone like that? Well, we often get stuck with people like that. That's the, that's the challenge. And, and the more you get stuck with them, the more you have the propensity to become like that yourself. And, and the classic example I have is, is my mother-in-law. I've known her for 30 years and we got on great. So this isn't a mother-in-law mother joke. Um, but she lives in a place where everybody complains about the backache and the fact that the youth today show no respect and their pension doesn't go far enough. And, and then when she comes to visit us, she stays with us in the summer for six to eight weeks. When she walks to the front door, the first thing she says is, I'm sick to death of people always complaining. And we always burst out, my wife and I burst out laughing because she's now complaining about the complainers and doesn't understand that she also has got into that spiral of complaining all the time. And we have learned, my wife and I have learned not to challenge that and not to try and correct it, not to try and stop it, just to completely ignore it, change the conversation to something more positive. And an amazing thing happens. It takes a while, but after about 10 days to two weeks, it's almost as if aliens came into our house the night before and they took out this angry old woman and they replaced her with everybody's favorite white-haired granny. The, the transformation is remarkable, but it's because of that breaking in the connection. And, and unfortunately, you know, in the workplace, you get trapped with those people and it is, it is energy zapping. I mean, just, they're, they're like energy vampires and, and, you, and you, you can get caught in that. And when that happens, you've got to break free. You've got to treat it like passive smoking. Get out of that toxic environment. Yes, very often after a session with uh, the complaining individual, 
a person's energy level when they were all excited to get started on a project after a discussion uh, even two minutes with that individual you you, you feel like you've uh, already put in three days of work with no sleep yeah it's it's exhausting i, I mean I've, I've you know in my regular career when i look back on my regular career i, I reckon i spent 75 percent of my time sitting in a meeting room talking about nothing positive, not talking about how we make more profit or how we increase revenue or how we satisfy customers, but, you know, all the things that were wrong and everything that was unfair and my boss doesn't love me and the hierarchy don't know what they're doing and all of this sort of stuff. And it is exhausting. It's not easy to break away from it in the business environment. Uh, So in three simple steps, in the first step, I've included about, I think, about 12 different scenarios where it's not possible to get away or break that connection and, and how you can sort of protect yourself mentally and all of those techniques were also, I found also, in these wonderful stories of self-made um, men and women. You uh, mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation that you described the uh, negative emotions and that uh, uh, constantly running tape of within a person's head of self-talk as uh, being in quicksand. That's a wonderful analogy of uh, how uh, a person feels because, as you say, the more you struggle, the deeper you sink. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's an analogy I like to use, but the other thing about quicksand is that you usually have a lot of people in there with you. People, people oftentimes, I think, um, just feel more comfortable in the quicksand because they're just they're so used to being there and they don't realize that there's a better way or a way out. Um, or what Oprah Winfrey once said, I knew there was a better way. I just had to find it. And and, and I, I've always I always felt the same way. I could see that I was I could see where my life was heading if I didn't change. And, and so I first of all decided I wanted to change. That's a, that's an important moment. And, and then secondly, I, I committed to change. That's also a critical thing to do. And that's in in step two or three simple steps. And and, and then a funny thing happened. You know, so then I started to get out of this quicksand. My life improved. Miracles seemed to turn up almost every day. I mean, I was in heavy debt. I was I was. Uh, you know, in a job I didn't like. Um, I, at the time, I didn't have a relationship. Um, and all of those things changed in my life very quickly from following these three, three simple steps. So I was ecstatic. But what I wasn't expecting was that as I got out of the quicksand and looked behind me, there's thousands of other people there in the quicksand who are really angry that I have decided to think that I'm better than them, which I didn't, but that's their interpretation. And I've decided to get out of their comfort zone. And it's hard enough to change and be outside your own comfort zone, but I think it's ten times harder to be outside everybody else's comfort zone. And that's a challenge that Three Simple Steps tries to help people with, how, how to, how to, how to uh, get out of the quicksand and then avoid all that guilt-throwing and guilt-catching and not get pulled straight back in. And uh, it's, a, it's a key part of moving forward. Yes, that happens to many people as they uh, attempt to uh, uh, move out of uh, difficult circumstances, to move out of bad neighborhoods through education. Of, of course, their uh, uh, attempts to provide to uh, gain more education are ridiculed and sabotaged. Their attempts to uh, get a better job are somehow sabotaged. If they try to start a business, people will tell them they will fail. It's like they're trying to pull you back into that quicksand, even as you follow yourself a rope to get out. Well, I, and that's the thing. I never had anybody other than my wife and, and in earlier days my, my mother who would encourage me, everybody else, including my father and my siblings, were, you know, considered me to be too big for my britches, too too uh, too self-assured or, or, or got my head in the clouds, you know. It was, it's a very British thing, too, to think, you know, come on, you're English, tone it down a bit. It's kind of the way people think. And the funny thing happened, I had I had great ambitions to joined the Royal Navy Academy, and everybody, this is when I was uh, 16, everybody told me it was impossible because I came from a, from a class of society that had never been admitted to this um, elitist institution. 
But I was determined to do it, and my mother believed in me, and, and between us we managed to make it happen. It's a story that's in the book, and uh, it's a great story. And, and um, the funny thing was, when I, when I had, had finally had my application accepted and I was sort of on the way to achieving this, what other people call the miracle, um, I went to my careers teacher at school, and she saw all of this paperwork, and she, she could barely contain her smile. And then she said, I think you should, here's an application form. I think the ideal place for you would be an apprentice in a chicken packing factory, which is just down the road. And, and you know, if I, hadn't had, if I hadn't had the lesson that my mother taught me, because when she was diagnosed with cancer, she was given six months to live, and she just simply, I was there when she said to the doctors, I'm sorry, that's not long enough. I'm not dying until my children are grown and left the nest. And she meant it. And I saw that unshakable belief. That was the first time in my life I'd, I saw what the sort of unshakable belief that I had read about in these historical heroes, I saw it for myself in my, in my real-life hero. And, and it's only because of that that I was able to resist that tremendous um, pull back into the quicksand that that career teacher could have caused in that moment. Um, so, so Three Simple Steps tries to arm you to protect yourself from all of that. It, a lot of it's well-meaning. It's not that people are malicious. They just don't want you to make a fool of yourself. They, they, they worry about, you know, okay, what if it doesn't go well? How will I comfort him? How will I pick him up? So people mostly do it from a sense of wanting to take care of you. But when you let it inside your mentality, it can destroy your dreams very quickly. You, of course, uh, uh, lay out three simple steps, which uh, many uh, uh, books of this type usually uh, amount to more like uh, 36 uh, not exactly simple steps. But the first of your three simple steps is reclaiming your mentality. What do you mean by that? I mean getting back to find the pioneering spirit with which everyone was born, but most, but most of us live a life where that becomes suppressed. And it becomes depressed because of all the noise we allow into our brains around us. It's, I'd say, nigh on impossible to become self-made if the decisions you make for yourself are based on the opinions of other people or the media or the economy or any of those things. You really have to have complete faith in your own intuition because oftentimes the brilliant idea you have that can make a difference is counterintuitive to the way the world works. It would be like, uh, I mean, who, who could have, you know, 35 years ago, I could have gone to my family or to a board of directors or to some investors and said, I've had this great idea that I'll open a coffee shop and people will line up around the block to have a milky coffee and paid $3.50 for it. Well, in its time, people would have laughed in my face for that suggestion and no one would have invested in it. Now everybody does it as part of the culture. But the person who had that idea, and I know that idea evolved, but the person who had that original concept was going counter to the general population's opinion. Uh, and it seemed crazy at the time and was a huge success. My own companies are, are the same example in that I, I started America's first and only 100% virtual pharmaceutical company, and everybody told me that was absolutely crazy. Well, because I had now got control of my mentality, I didn't let that dilute my feeling or my, my sense of unshakable belief for that idea, even though it seemed crazy to everybody else. And so step one is all about finding back inside yourself that individualism that you had when you were born because you know when you look at all the historical heroes you know none of them were common none of them, none of them looked alike they weren't like they weren't like twins i mean henry ford was such an individual pioneering spirit uh, samuel colt was a pioneer madam cj walker was one of my favorite historical heroes america's first ever female millionaire born to slaves african american um orphaned uh, at 14 married at 15 beaten up and abused by 18 and escaped with a life just barely 
everything that could possibly go against you went against this woman in a time when first women were not supposed to be in business, secondly African Americans weren't, weren't allowed to have any job unless it was agricultural, and thirdly, of course, she, you know, she, she's uh, um, come from a, a situation of abuse and negativity, and she became the first female millionaire in America. I think that is amazing, and that's because she was able to hold on to the thing that made her special, her pioneering spirit, which was Madam C.J. Walker. There would be no two Madam C.J. Walkers in the world, just as the same, the same as there's no two Waynes and there's no, tre no two Trevor Blakes in the world. But a lot of people become sort of a, a mishmash of the noise around them and lose that sense of individuality. And I think it's so important to get back to that first before you start to embark on you know, taking control of your destiny. When a person masters their own mentality and shuts out the uh, the uh, noise that arrives by uh, the, the television news, the uh, newspaper, the every uh, people that they they uh, work with and even live with will uh, uh, be pushed aside, and you can live a, a life based on that premise of your own as being a master of your own mentality, right? Well, you can, and you don't miss out, you know, because what you're shutting out is not the information or the facts, but the sensationalism and emotions that go with them. Uh, you know, I haven't uh, taken a newspaper subscription in 20 years, and I never watch a news program, not even the BBC, because I know a lot of it is propaganda and bias, and I prefer to find out my own version. I prefer to, you know, to, to trawl around for information and then come to my own conclusion. Whether it's right or wrong, it'll be my conclusion, and that's important. Uh, and and people, when I tell people this, they find that hard to believe because they – you know, have to get their 10 o'clock dose of Fox News or something like that or America's Most Wanted or whatever nonsense it might be that they're letting into their head that's damaging their brain cells. Um, the, but the, the funny thing is when people hear all this, they say to me, well, you can't be very well informed then. And yet I seem to be as well informed as I ever was. I don't seem to have missed out or lost out on, any, on anything during this, this period where I haven't needed to take on other people's, um, you know, uh, media emotion, if you like. So I, I think it's, the key is not to not to try and become, you know, like a saint and and put on a purple caftan and sit on a pointy rock on the top of the Himalayas. It's not like that at all. It's just as I point out in three simple steps. It's making really small changes makes a huge difference in in outcome. So right now, if you if if you are fixated with getting up in the morning and switching on uh, the TV and, and and watching a car chase. Then maybe all you have to do is just, you know, make a small change to that. Do something else first. Do something positive first before you do that, or or put the volume down while you're having breakfast or something. It's really tiny changes. And the the, the picture I I like to use in, in teaching these steps and is, is think of a, a game of pool and you imagine the beautiful uh, um, table set up with the racquetballs down the far end and the white cue ball and you're about to line up the cue against the white cue ball at that point in time this table exists for no other no reason except just to be a table with some inert balls on it and you can hit the white cue ball and it can go shooting off the table if you make the tiniest change in angle it could be a fraction of a degree then the ball goes and smashes the rack all over the table. That's a very satisfying feeling. And I feel it's the same in life, that you don't have to become like Mother Teresa. You just have to make tiny little changes in key moments. I mean, I screw up as much as anybody does. If, if you were with me when I was watching soccer on TV, which is my favorite sport, you'd think I'd never even read Three Simple Steps, let alone written them. It, it, you know, we all have those moments where we like to vent and, and let go, but that's fine. But in critical situations, it's getting that control. So... You know, if I'm going out to a lending officer to start a new business 
And the first thing I do that morning is put the TV on and listen to the, the devastatingly gloomy news because that's the only thing that they will put on. They're not going to tell you the world is fine and everything's doing well. And you know what? You don't need to watch TV anymore. Go and have a nice day. They want you to watch the adverts, the commercials. And so they're going to tell you something that's terrible. When you come back, you know, here's a, here's a devastating story. Well, if you do that before you go and see a lending officer, you're certainly not going to present in a confident manner and you're certainly not going to enter that room feeling like you can get a loan because you've just heard that nobody's lending money anymore. And, and you see, see and hear this sort of thing all the time. So you have to be selective. Think about where you are in life and where you want to go and only let into your brain those things that can support that dream and keep out of your brain all of those things that can destroy that dream. The second step of the three simple steps you describe as creating winning ideas. What are winning ideas? It's a moment of insight that separates the successful from the, from the mediocre and it's always that one moment that you slap yourself on the forehead and say, why didn't I think of this 20 years ago? And I noticed in the, um, the autobiographies of, of all of these great historical heroes that they ha all had a way of getting far from the madding crowd and finding a few moments a day of peace where they did nothing except just sit in a chair and think, and contemplate, and do nothing. Uh, you know, and I thought, well, that's interesting. And that's where they all claimed. Uh, Einstein claimed that's where he got E equals MC squared. He was taking what he used to call these, these quick naps, but he would just basically sit in a chair. And he'd been pondering this puzzle for over 10 years. He'd thought of nothing else for 10 years. And the answer came to him when he wasn't thinking about it. And, and so that's, and that's really how you get these brilliant ideas. Most people have an experience where they're in the shower thinking of nothing, stop, they've stopped worrying for five minutes, and suddenly they get a great idea. And that's what, that's what this is all about. So it's finding a, a, a way, and the technique I use in, in recommending step two is called taking quiet time, because I want to separate it from anything esoteric. This is not um, uh, you know, an ancient meditation technique or anything like that. This is pure science. This is how the brain works. So most people think if you take 20 minutes in the morning before you do anything else, that you're slowing the brain down. But actually you're not. That's the only time during your waking hours that you will allow your brain to work at its full capacity because the brain works almost at the speed of light. And what we tend to do is we jump out of bed and then we go to our text or our emails. And in order to, to get your thumbs, my little fat thumbs, to, to work on this tiny little keyboard that's on my iPhone, I have to really slow my brain down to an almost crawling pace. And the brain doesn't like to work slowly. And that does a lot of damage to your brain, but it also... Uh, dampens down the, that amazing creativity. So my recommendation is, and I get this from all the people that we mentioned before, because they all did the same thing. You know, Henry Ford used to go out to the farm where he grew up and just sit in a, a rickety rocking chair, and that's where all of his great ideas came from. Samuel Colt used to weed a two-acre patch of grass next to his house. All these people found, found a way to just separate themselves from the madness and the noise and just let their brain do whatever the brain does without trying to help it, without trying to stop it, without even trying anything. Just let it go and see what happens. And, you know, I've been teaching this for a long time, and I get more emails from all over the world about this second step than any other. And what's interesting is instead of an email saying, hey, I really like the book, or, you know, I'm enjoying control of my mentality, they write two or three pages of an email of all of the amazing things that have come into their head as a result of doing quiet time. And if you do it long enough, I do 20 minutes a day, first thing in the morning. It's the first thing I do. Um, I get up and I sort of stretch and I'm, I'm awake and I watch the sun come up and then I'll sit quietly for 20 minutes and that's it. I couldn't imagine my life without it. And all of my successful companies, I've had four, all of them, all of those ideas have come as a result of this technique. 
you describe it in the book as a, as a matter of stillness. That's a nice way of putting it. And that's exactly what it is. Um, because it's impossible, I think a lot of people who, who recommend these, and you, you come across a lot of self-help books where they recommend something similar. I'm a big fan of Paolo Coelho, who, who also uh, describes the exact same technique in his latest novel called The Aleph. Um, uh, a, a lot of people think that it's trying to find silence, and that's impossible because you know there's the, the hum of electricity around, there's the, there's the air, you can you, you can hear the blood in, your, in the veins and, and the arteries through your ears, and you can hear your own breathing. So it's impossible to get silence, and, and people fight against that, and I think it, that's where people struggle to take this quiet time sometimes. It's just a case of sitting, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I managed to make it into about 10 pages in the book, but basically it's sitting in a chair for 20 minutes in the morning and doing nothing, and it's wonderful because it's 1.38% of your day just for you. And that might be the only time during the day where it's just you and nothing. And it's, it's, absolutely, it's, like, it's like eating the finest food or drinking the best wine. Or it's, it's a magical thing. And the, the funny thing is, you know, again, I screw up like everybody else does. I had to get up at 4.30 this morning for a radio show, so I didn't do my quiet time until afterwards, and it wasn't as effective. And this afternoon, my wife turned around to me and said, did you do your quiet time this morning? And I said, yeah, but a bit late. She said, I thought so. I could tell something it's not quite right. So she can tell in my demeanor the days I have, have uh, cheated. And I find that quite remarkable. I'd often thought uh, in the workplace that uh, something like a half hour of, uh, of meditation or sitting and thinking uh, or, or doing nothing but uh, creating ideas might be a, a way to uh, achieve breakthroughs, but... Not, not too many people have ever agreed with that one. There are a few companies that have it as part of their culture. You're not you're not forced to do it, but I mean Google has a a, a big. I'm up in Seattle right now, so the main, one of the main Google offices is up here, obviously. And I play soccer with a couple of their folks, and they have a big meditate med, meditation suite where you where you're allowed to take time out during the day. The challenge I have with that is that you know you have to understand that everything in life is energy. That's the number one believing point if you like and it can be proved scientifically by string theory that everything in the world whether it's the gravity that holds you into your chair or the pen you've got in your hand or whatever it is is made up of strings of vibrating energy so that means that thoughts are also energy a form of energy and 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 the problem with taking quiet time with other people around you is that they have thoughts and you have thoughts and they're both energy and when energies collide they cause interference and interference can be constructive or destructive and that's, all, that's the only choice energy has. Unfortunately, for energy to be constructive, in that you know, if you get two people together, maybe two and two makes five, the only way it can be constructive is if the thoughts are absolutely identical. In other words, if the energy is the same amplitude and power and frequency. Now, unfortunately, thoughts are like fingerprints. No two people have the same thoughts at the same time in the same way. And so I highly recommend that when you take quiet time, you do it alone. You can't have anyone else in the room because you can't control their thoughts. And their thoughts might be well-meaning, but they're going to interfere with your own. And what you want is your brain to do whatever your brain wants to do. It knows what to do. It knows what you need. And so you want to let your brain just have 20 minutes to do its thing before you slow it down and introduce it to all of these other competing energies. And uh, during the quiet time and uh, the uh, uh, creation of uh, winning ideas, you mentioned that in the book about uh, creating moments of insight. So what do you mean by creating a moment of insight? Well, it's that brilliant breakthrough thought that that changes everything and just gets you so excited and so fired up, so much so that you 
are almost running around to try and do something about this great thought. You don't want to lose it. It's so fantastic. And, you know, um, it, they can happen at any time, but they happen as a result of taking quiet time. And my my um, favorite recollection is walking through Minneapolis Airport, and I had time to kill. And I've been I like Minneapolis Airport because it's got a nice shopping area, and it's not a bad place if you have to do a, some some layover time. Um, and I was doing some window shopping, and then I decided to go to the lounge, and I was at the foot of the escalator, and I had this brilliant idea. And it wasn't just, oh, that would be a good company. It was the full business model. It was everything, almost like someone had handed me a five- or six-page document. And it's, it, that's what I call a moment of insight. It's not just, oh, that's a good idea. Why don't I try that? It's every, it's, it, the whole thing is given to you like a blueprint. And this is what fascinated me about, um, you know, some of these autobiographies I was reading. You know, they didn't just, you know, Henry Ford didn't just think, well, I'll make a car. You know, he he came up with a blueprint of a car because cars were luxury items. Or he was in business with uh, Cadillac and other people that the fellow that um, started Cadillac, and 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 they had this big argument because they just went. The, the the idea was to just make luxury vehicles for the rich people, and he wanted a car that everybody could buy, and he had the full blueprint of how you could do that, how you could manufacture it cheaply enough, how you could get the materials. You know, it all came to him in a flash. Um, theory of relativity. How complicated is that? That came to Einstein in a nanosecond, and that's a moment of insight. And, I, you know, I can't put myself on the same footing as, a, as any of those fantastic people, but I was very pleased to be able to come up with a unique company, not just, the, not just the, you know, an idea of, hey, I've got, a, I've got a new company and I'd like to call it X. It was the whole blueprint of how this company could stop the corporate wastefulness, reduce your drug prices, give free product to patients that couldn't afford it. The whole, you know, it was a really good business plan. And, of course, then everybody told me it was impossible, but we ended up proving that it isn't. And, of course, uh, the uh, moment of insight uh, doesn't have to be, as you say, uh, something that's completely uh, world revolutionary, but can be something that changes uh, the individual's own uh, world. It, it can. And I got a, an absolutely delightful email uh, about a week ago. It's one of my favorite favorite emails, actually. It was, a, it was a gentleman. First of all, he started off with a complaint because he got home, and uh, I think it was uh, one of the couriers had left a a sticky note on his door saying they tried to deliver a parcel and he couldn't get it, he wasn't available. So he grumpily said, and now I had to go to the local office, which is difficult to find places to park around there to pick up my parcel. So then I pick up my parcel and I get home and I find it's wrapped. It's so difficult. I, I had trouble getting into it. This was his second complaint. And then he said, and I opened up the parcel and, and it's a self-help book and I can't stand self-help books. That was his third complaint. Anyway, for some reason he flicked through it and he said, it started to resonate with me, and I sat down, and I read it in one sitting. It's a, I think it's a fairly straightforward book. You can read it in a couple of flight segments or in one sitting at home, a couple of hours, three hours maybe. And uh, he said something struck with him, and he has changed the way he perceives his world. And so now he's not getting as angry about some of the things that used to make him angry. And he's, gonna, he's had this brilliant idea, so he's taking quiet time. He says, I've had a brilliant idea, and it's a new project. And it was a very simple project. Uh, but what made this special to me was in his last line as he's signing off, he said, oh, by the way, uh, my name is, his name is Leland, so my, my name is Leland, and I'm uh, ex-professor of economics at um, uh, University of Virginia, and I'm 88 years old. So here's a guy who had a moment of insight at 88 years old, and, off he, and he's, he's, been, he's been rejuvenated, and he's starting a new project, and I thought that was priceless. And that's what it's all about. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be changing the world. It just has to be changing your world. Well, that's right. In fact, uh, 
many times a, a person will say, well, wh why did you do what it was that you did? You didn't really change the world by helping that one person. And I always pointed out, well, well, perhaps uh, it didn't change the world for everyone, but it changed the world for that person. It, absolutely. It makes a difference. That's the, my uh, my uh, company, Mission Vision Values, for all of my companies has been the same. Uh, and it is make a positive difference in people's lives, have fun doing it, and enjoy the material rewards of that success because the material rewards always follow that sense of purpose. And uh, and, and it's making the positive difference that gives you the thrill that makes it all worthwhile. You know, just get, for me, it was just being able to, in one example, get, get um, medicine to uh, a seven-year-old girl who would be dead today if she hadn't got the medicine because her... She was in another country, and the government refused to pay for it, and we were able to come up with a, a way of getting it through the complicated administrative situation so that she could actually get her drug. We did it by creating a clinical trial of one person. So we set up a clinical trial of which she was the only candidate, and she got the drug for free through the trial. And uh, that gave me as much thrill, I think, than anything else in that company. The, you know, Fantastic that it sold for $105 million when it got too big for me, but you know, if, if it didn't, that would have been worth That would have been what it was all about. You changed the world for for that girl. Uh, to her, now the world is an entirely different place. It is, and she she's actually a very sick. She couldn't. She was in hospital half her life, but so three and a half of her seven years she was in hospital, and she was amazing. You know, she was failure failure to thrive is how they call it in medical terms. So she was very small and very thin, and she'd been given her last rites, and just by chance, a physician that I had met over here in America. Um, looked at her chart and asked, have you tried to diagnose for X? And they hadn't, and they did, and they found the answer, and we got a drug within 48 hours, and she was out of hospital, and now she's a professional ballerina. And that's that, a remarkable that is, story. Yeah. That's a, an amazing transformation of changing the world, and uh, uh, not only has she uh, changed the world for herself, but all, all of the people that uh, she comes in contact with uh, through uh, her dance. Exactly, exactly. The third of the three steps you call transforming the ideas into achievements. What do you mean by that premise? Well, I, I attempt to take everything that anyone's ever read about goal setting and throw it out of the window because um, most self-help books talk about goal setting and they base it on a philosophy that existed over 200 years ago when the basic laws of physics weren't known by, by anybody. And... and uh, uh, unfortunately, that the concept was it was a very male-dominated world. The warrior-like mentality exists whereby in order to get something that you want, you have to, in in a way, become uh, you know, a, a, an actor in an Indiana Jones adventure where you step over all the bodies of the people that haven't made it, uh, and, and then you overcome all of these amazingly challenging tasks, and you just make it to find the treasure that wasn't yours to begin with, and you steal it and take it home. Well, nature doesn't work that way. Nature is effortless. Uh, it doesn't have to conquer or steal anybody or anything. It just it exists and it, it exists in accordance to laws of energy and laws of physics. And and I believe success is the same way. And so we talk in step three about intentions and the difference in, between intentions and a goal. An intention is a goal with all doubt about its attainment removed. And so we work on the way to get to that. I call that a sense of knowing. So it's a way to get to that sense of knowing. And and the purpose of step three is to find the recipe for success. So you've got your great idea, you've got control of your mentality, and how do you turn that into reality? And you do it by getting the right balance between the warrior-like mentality and the intuitive mentality. And 
you know, in order to be successful, of course, you need to have the skills to hunt and gather. That goes without saying. But you also need the intuition to sense danger and to notice opportunity. And most people live their lives according to one or the other. They're either warrior-like or they're too intuitive. And it's about getting that balance, about getting more toward a 50-50 balance between, you know, the doing and the intuition. And all of my greatest decisions have been intuitive. Um, So step three, if you're more of a warrior-like mentality, I used to be a bit of a road warrior sales guy myself, and, you know, it helps you uh, build up your intuition. If you're more intuitive, it helps you show how to turn that great sort of power into being able to see something you like and, and bring it toward you. And so it's a very different attitude to goal setting as, as it's been taught for, for, for centuries, really. Um, and it's very effective. What the overall summary of it is, it makes you feel a bit like a little wizard. It, make, it makes you feel that you can come up with any idea and you can develop that sense of knowing and some techniques and how you do that. And you know that you and this idea or you and this thing are going to get connected. And it's very powerful and it's incredibly exciting. Uh, you start off with some, some, you know, everyone has a dream. Most people start off with really small dreams because they're starting from a position that they're not happy in. Um, but you've, you realize very quickly that you're dreaming very small and you can go huge. And uh, and that's how you go from starting a company with a few hundred dollars and sending it for a hundred million because the, and during that six-year process, it was only six years from beginning to end, there was not one time when I doubted it because I had this, developed this way of building my emotion through desire, through belief, to a sense of knowing. And uh, it, for people who uh, tend to uh, be more extremely uh, on the warrior side or those who tend to be more extremely on the intuitive side, the uh, idea of blending and balancing the two is, is something that, that would not likely have ever occurred to them at all because it's almost completely outside of their own nature. Yeah, one way to think about it is, you know, imagine that you're hungry and you'd uh, you'd do anything for a loaf of bread right now. And the warrior-like mentality will put his armor on and take his sword and he'll go to the, the nearest castle and he'll break through the castle wall. He'll batter down the doors of the bakery and he'll steal a loaf of bread or she will steal a loaf of bread. And the the intuitive mentality is, well, you know what? I'll put some flour and some butter in a bowl and I'll bake it up and I'll put it in the oven and hey, presto, I've got my own bread. And and they're both correct, but it's a case of getting what's getting that balance right is what you need to be successful in business. What you'd be doing with your bread is perhaps making some and adding some uh, from the outside, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, you know, it's a key thing to understand that abundance is not finite. Uh, you know, there's there's I think something like a thousand times more money in the world today than there was even 20 years ago. So so you know, uh, life is about creating. You know, creating and creativity. It's not you're not. It's not one one cake, and you're just taking a bigger slice from somebody else. It's not. It's not thievery or or, uh, or or greed. It's simply being creative. It's creating more, and the, and the more you create, the more you build. The more abundance there is. It's a it's a process of continuous expansion, and that's really how the world exists. We're, we're expanding all the time. The universe is expanding all the time, and so should we be as as you know spirits and people within that world. That's right in tune with my thinking when people talk about uh, uh, creating uh, Internet business. And I would point out, well, you freely uh, offer uh, assistance to others and help them because there's more than enough uh, business on the Internet for millions of people, let alone just the two of us. 
Well, and I think that's one of the fantastic things about the era we live in, because because even um, you know a, a sole proprietor is now a global company. So, so you can sit in your home office. I've, I've never leased an office. I've always worked from home. Actually, I've never had an employee either. That's a, perhaps another a, a topic for another time. But, but uh, uh, you know, you can sit in your home office, and the whole world is your customer now. And, and what an amazing time to live. There, there are no limits. That's right. The uh, mom-and-pop business is uh, right there on the Internet, one click away from uh, the uh, multi-billion dollar uh, corporation, both offering the same product, but the uh, mom-and-pop's business uh, is is right there with them uh, as a global business, too, as you say. Yeah, I think it's hard to tell them apart now. Um, That can also be an issue when it comes to to the Internet, because you can make anything look great, but but uh, you know, I've I've run my companies from home, and like I say, never had an employee, never had an uh, office lease, or wasted money on those things because you don't need to these days. I mean, everything's available at the at the click of a mouse, and and I I, I do get frustrated. I, I do do some. Uh, you mentioned before life coaching. It's really it's really CEO coaching that I do, and I do get frustrated when people take up or start a new company or they become a CEO for the first time, and the first thing they do is is hire a bunch of people. They hire a CFO and they hire an IT guy and they hire a marketing and a human resources guy. And I, I, I you know, hold my hands up and say, because most, 50% of companies disappear every every five years. And of those, 70% disappear because of cash flow mismanagement. Well, well that, you start off mismanaging cash flow by hiring all of these functional experts that you no longer need because, one, you can do it all yourself, and I can show you how to do that, and two, you have access to all of those services and experts on an as-needed on, on an as-needed basis at the click of a mouse, and uh, you know it's just it's just I think we're seeing a paradigm shift in the way that companies are being run. Or, uh, the, the in order to be successful as a company today, you have to it's, it's basically adapt or die because technology can put you out of business overnight, and the traditional business model is is not suitable for that kind of 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 uh, environment because it takes so long to get a bunch of executives around the table and all to come to consensus when probably the consensus is the wrong decision anyway. So, you know, we live in a world where you can work from your home office and be as effective as any major corporation without ever hiring anybody or having to surround yourself with what used to be called the mastermind principle and it's something that I regale against on a regular basis. The uh, concept that you had for uh, a virtual pharmacy was a a disruptive innovation that uh, disrupted the uh, brick-and-mortar concept of the pharmacy. And for people that uh, are seeking uh, business ideas and who uh, utilize your three steps and and, uh, find those insights and breakthroughs, they're, they're, they're very likely to come up with something uh, very disruptive of, uh, of existing business models as well. Yeah, and that you know, goes, goes back to one of your previous questions, Wayne, and that is what a moment of insight is. And moments of insight typically do change the way the, 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 the herd, if you like, or the crowd think. Um, you know, who could imagine we'd all been working on tablets right now? I mean, I remember seeing tablets on Star Trek the first, the first Star Trek, uh, way back in the in, in the late 60s, early 70s, and thinking that it was so far in the future that that's probably ridiculous, and yet we all live with them now. So, you know, that, that's what moments of insight do. And and the fellow who came up with that moment of insight uh, also took his quiet time every single morning. You 
describe a concept in the book that you call knowing. What do you mean by knowing? It, it's that you know I'm, I've been lucky enough to to be married to my wife for thirty years, and, and and sometimes she will tell me something as if it's fact. And you know I've learned I've been with her long enough to know now that when a woman makes up her mind, it's a it's a foolish man who thinks he can change that because women just have this sense of knowing sometimes they just know, uh, and, and it's very strong, very powerful, and it's often connected to the the uh, family environment they just know something about their child or they know something about a neighbor or they 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 can someone can walk through the door and they can sum up that person instantly and and not be wrong and uh, you know and, and i think uh, falsely in in our world today we associate that sense of knowing as woman's intuition and assume that, it, that only women have it and men don't and what i like to get to is to show men that you know what you don't have to get to you you'll never get intuition as strong as a woman's intuition but if you get 10% the world's your oyster, and I say to women, you know, you don't, you, you've, you've lived in a, a world where that doesn't put value on that sense of knowing, and, and treats it almost as if it's a, a you know, a parlor trick. That that is, you, most women have an incredible advantage over men in the workplace, but just don't realize it because they don't either trust their intuition or they work in an environment where men disregard that intuition. And, and so I, I don't like to use the word women's intuition because I don't want it to be associated just with women. I want to use the sense of knowing because it's available to everybody. Uh, and I, my wife has an incredible intuition. And if I could, you know, bottle 10% of it, I'd be a multi-billionaire overnight. Um, I've been able to, to, to bottle a little bit of it in my own life. And, uh, you know, I know when I decide I want something, I, I know I'm going to get it. And uh, it, it takes a while to build that up. And so there's some techniques in step three or three simple steps that show you how to build to that level. And so the state of knowing can be uh, developed and created and uh, put into action by anyone? Yeah, absolutely anybody. I get a lot of emails about this too, particularly from men who say, you know, this made all the difference in the in the in the business environment. Uh, they they ignored that little that gnawing in their stomach, you know, that they they used to ignore that, and now they pay attention to it, and it's make it makes all the difference because, um, you know, you you need to get that balance between the hunting skills and the and the intuitive skills, and and, and when you can, you know, if you can if you can use your intuitive skills without having to put yourself in danger. What a wonderful gift that is. What a wonderful tool to have. Yes, we'll very often hear of that in the hiring process where the person hired will fill in all will uh, fit all of the uh, boxes that are checked for the, all of the qualifications and so on that are uh, uh required, but uh, the, the the person will have that little uh, feeling in their stomach that maybe this isn't the right person for us. But they hire them anyway based on the qualifications and let go the uh, and miss the person that uh, may not fill in all of the uh, check boxes, but for some reason they had that feeling that maybe they were the right person. But instead they uh, let the uh, as you would call it the uh, warrior uh, uh, mode of thinking uh, dictate their choice. Right, and and unless you have confidence in your intuition, then that's always going to be the process that you go through, and and, and so three simple steps aims to help build up that confidence, and, and I think that's a really important part of the the process. Uh, I had a great example in my own life when I I uh, brought on two partners once, um, and my wife had met neither of them. They both worked for me in a previous career, previous life, and and my wife had met neither of them. And with one of them, she said that that's bad news. You shouldn't go into business with him. 
And I laughed at her because I said, well, you've never met him. You don't know anything about him. And I think my ego got in the way because, you know, I he, he buttered me up. He made me feel like the best boss in the world. And, and he played that game really well, and I fell for it. And you know what? So I, w- I went against my wife's intuition and hired him anyway, and I tried my hardest to make it work out so that I didn't have to suffer that moment where she gets the opportunity to say, I told you so. <laughs> but about 18 months later, she got that opportunity because it was a disaster. Uh, and it was a big relief when that person um, decided to, to cash in their chips, if you like, I mean, made profit on the investment. But thank goodness he left the company because he was dragging us down. Um, and and that's only, I've only gone against my wife's intuition twice, and that was one of them. So your life lesson there is to uh, listen to your wife's intuition whenever she uh, puts it forward, right? (laughs) Absolutely. How can a person live a life of intention so that uh, the three simple steps becomes part of their uh, way of being? Well, it's like anything else. You have to, because the brain works like a muscle. We talked earlier on about it hardwires and, and, um, uh, you know, the more you expose it to something, the more it becomes like that. It's, it's the same in reverse. So, so if you if you begin to, you know, in small ways take control of your mentality, and then you take your 20 minutes in the morning, every morning, or even 15 minutes or 10 minutes, it doesn't matter as long as you let your brain do what it does, and then you start to work on intentions. Eventually, you know, I don't. For, for me, it could be a week before it becomes a habit. For someone else, a month, and for someone else, it can be instantly a habit. It, once it becomes a habit, then, then it becomes a way of life such that you don't have to think about it or talk about it anymore. And I, you know, that was the odd thing about writing this book. Um, uh, talking about these things makes them seem so much more complicated because these are things I do every day. And so when I, when I wrote my first draft, it was only about 60 pages long because it, it felt self-evident to me. And and then, you know, I, I I tested it with a few people and they said, well, you know, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? And that's how it became what it, what it is today. I had to expand on all of these ideas because it becomes a habit. Once it becomes a habit, it just it's like having a magic wand, except the magic wand is inside your head. And so you can you can be like Harry Potter, if you like, and you can say, you know, I'm going to do that. And, and that's it. That's all you have to do because you're living in a way and thinking in a way that will make that happen. You know, you don't have to jump on one foot. You don't have to, you know, stand on on the, on the summit of Mount Everest to to, to get the message. You, you just have to make these very very small changes, and then you'll see all kinds of incredible things change in your life. And once you start to see those things turn up, you no longer need any more proof. We, you know, everybody wants proof these days. But I, when I was reading the autobiographies of all of these fantastic people, why do I need proof? If it worked for Samuel Colt, if it worked for um, Emerson, if it, you know, if it worked for Einstein, who am I to say it's not going to work for me? And I do try to tell people that, look, I've had no advantage in life, and yet here I am. Um, you know, if I can do it, uh, everyone can do it, and, but people don't like to hear that because it sounds a little corny, but it's actually true. And I hope Three Simple Steps is, is that magic wand that people are looking for. So when someone gets up tomorrow morning, what's the first step they should take toward regaining control of their own life? Well, don't start with step two because because what will happen is you might just have a great idea and then you'll go downstairs and your spouse will be yelling at you for being late to breakfast and the kids will be crying or fighting and you've got to take the dog out and your next-door neighbor meets you outside and says, you know, oh, have you seen the latest news? The stock market crashed this morning. And that idea is crushed. So so you've got to start with step one. So so tomorrow, you know, Get, get on step one, take a couple of the techniques that are in there, they're very short and simple, and introduce them into your work day or your home day if you're at home, and just enjoy the difference that it makes. And, and that's all you have to do is just uh, try it, 
and observe the difference. Uh, I can't, I'm not going to turn around and say, you know, if, if it doesn't work for you, then don't accept it because they always work. So, so I'm, you know, 100% confident that, uh, <laughs> you know, if you take this idea, some of those ideas, and you apply them just one day, you'll enjoy the results so much that you'll never think of going back to the old way of thinking or behaving. And, and do that for a period of time until you feel like you're getting control of your mentality before you move on to step two. It reminds me of a story. A friend of mine was pointing out that when he was looking for a job, that he said, quote, there are no jobs. And I asked him, well, how many jobs do you need? And he said, well, one. And I said, well, surely there's one job in the city that uh, that, that will work. You don't need uh, uh, the city to have millions of jobs. You just need to have one job for you. And about a week later, he, he announced to me that he was employed. So. <laughs> Well, and it's the same with you know with moments of insight. You don't need. I mean, it's nice to have a hundred moments of insight. You do. You only need one to completely change your life. And that changed his because he was completely thinking about all all of this big volume of jobs. Where in fact he needed to be just focused on one job. And uh, what is next for uh, Trevor Blake? Uh, well, right now I've got. Um, Two companies, one that I'm building, one I still own a third of, which is a, a cancer research and development company. And then I'm, I'm writing several books. So I've got this book out, and then I've got my next book is called Virtual Success. Well, that's the title right now. And it is um, about how to survive long enough in a business to hit a home run, because I do believe that one of the secrets to success is to stay, stay alive, because every industry has a good day, and every business has a chance to have its day in the sunshine. But most companies don't survive long enough to enjoy that. So this is about how to build a virtual company along the lines of the companies I've built, which had um, uh, gross profits of 85% and uh, home-based businesses, that brought in 15 to 20 million in revenue a year with that type of profit. These are very successful businesses and very, very attainable. So that's my next book, which will probably come out sometime, sometime next year, I think. And how can we find you on the internet, Trevor? It's all very easy. So you can get get to me uh, through various portals that go from threesimplesteps.com. So it's t h r e e simplesteps.com. And uh, if you want to copy the book, you can read the first chapter. It's, it's available for free online on um, threesimplesteps.com, and you can get it from anywhere where books are sold. All of my profits go to cancer research and development, so there's actually nothing in it for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about this message, but I'm also raising money for cancer research and development. And, of course, you're on all of the social media as well, because I just liked your Facebook page, and I found you on uh, Twitter as well. Right. I I, um, I write a I have a blog, so I have a lot of articles. I think I've written about 80 in this last year, and they're mostly uh, business-based articles, uh, little tips on how to make your business a bit more successful, and hopefully they've been useful for people, and also a little bit of a helping hand for Three Simple Steps because it's nice to go somewhere where other people are experiencing the same thing that you are, uh, you know, and you can share the same sense of excitement. So you can get to all of those things through through that. Um, the social media activity, I write all the content, but I don't actually do it myself. I have somebody else hit the button for me and do that type of thing because I'm just too busy to do it all. But uh, it's all available there, and uh, there's a lot of great articles. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak with us tonight, uh, Trevor. It's been fascinating talking about uh, uh, the concepts of uh, Three Simple Steps. Well, thank you for inviting me, Wayne. I appreciate the questions, too. Oh, you're very welcome. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to this edition of Blog Business Success here on Blog Talk Radio. And tonight our guest was Trevor Blake.
and he's a successful entrepreneur. He's also a coach who coaches uh, CEOs, and he's the author of the very insightful and empowering book, Three Simple Steps, A Map to Success in Business and Life. And Trevor Blake described how to regain control of your thoughts and of your life to achieve a life of purpose. Thanks again for joining us, Trevor. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Good night.